It's That Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scher. I'm Nancy Pearl. A room full of people are here to talk about mysteries. I wanted to talk about mysteries because I love the mystery, and it's summer when I like to read the mysteries. haven't found any that I want to read, and I would like you to help me. Well, I think we can, but I have some that I suspect you will absolutely love. Oh, I thought you say loathe. No, love, love. They're, um, they've, they've just been recently reissued They're by a Scottish writer named William McIlvanney, M-C-I-L-V-A-N-N-E-Y, and it's the Laidlaw Trilogy. The um, main... It's about, it's about the bus company. Yeah, right. It is... Um, Mysteries of the Yellow Bus. That was the children's book he wrote. <laughs> uh, but the main character is a Glasgow detective named Jack Laidlaw. And McIlvanny really um, was the founder of what's now become known as Tartan Noir. Um, and so writers like Denise Minna and uh, Val McDermott, um, Ian Rankin almost, although those, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I would put Ian Rankin in that list as well. Um, I, you know, you get a sense. First of all, he's a wonderful he's a wonderful writer, and and I meant to bring my copy of the third one, which I marked up. Um, well, with I didn't write in it because I never write in the books, but I put little those little post-it notes um, for some. But here is I'm going to just read you. So here's a quote from the first Jack Laidlaw book. Laidlaw had seen that quality of arbitrarily shifting perspective before, always in people whose environment was putting them under pressure. It was as if they had been overtaken by the hardness of their experience and mugged by it so that they lived the rest of their lives concussed. Concussed. Isn't that fair? Very nice. Have you been to Scotland? Uh, years and years ago, yes. Uh-huh. You know, my friend Robert Horton, our uh -huh. friend Robert Horton is in Edinburgh right now oh, and right. getting a sense of Scottish culture. And, and I've been asking him about uh, Ian Rankin, who uh -huh. he's been reading. Yes. And so he's Edinburgh, not Glasgow, but right. he does say that there is a, a, a pall that hangs over the population. You know, I think there's a big difference. I think that one of the points the Scottish writers would make is that there's a big difference between Edinburgh and Glasgow, that Glasgow is much more is much tougher and and more working class um and soon to be an independent nation so yes right yeah and they just elected right they just elected like this 21 year old um here's another quote let me just read this one because we're talking about scotland because it was just that born in scotland you were hansled with remorse set up with shares in Calvin against your coming of age so that much of the energy you expended came back guilt. We tend to think mysteries aren't literature. I mean, a writer like uh, McIlvanny, those are wonderful sentences. Yeah. It also makes me think about the United Kingdom because each of those countries have very distinct mysteries, to be sure, Irish and Scottish yes. and English. Yes. The coziness of an English mystery is a lot different than Scotland. Right, although we could find really, really noir, really dark British mysteries as well. Um, one of the things I've always liked to ask mystery writers, particularly writers who do series of books, is 
what they regret, the decisions that they made in their first book, what they regret about that now that they're writing their sixth or seventh book, because, the, the, because oftentimes that first book is done without knowing whether there'll be a sequel, and so they do things, silly things like having the detective married or, or um, other narrowing kinds of, of, of events. And everybody knows that to be successful in a long series, you can't have a married detective too boring. <laughs> I, I just remember mystery writers um, being in that category of writers that were afraid you were going to reveal their story line. A similar thing arises when you discuss many, when you try to discuss a mystery at a book discussion, because often for some mysteries, many mysteries, I would say, there's nothing to discuss except what happened. And, and you know, so it just comes down to what, what page were you on when you figured out who did it or something, or something similar. So the mysteries that I like are mysteries always that are more than the mystery, that the mystery is almost, is, it's not incidental, but it's, it's just part of a larger commentary, perhaps, on, 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 on what's going on in the world. Um, Tana French, who, who, did, who wrote a series of mysteries set in Ireland during the, um, the Celtic Tiger and its aftermath. I mean, those are commentaries on, on uh, those are explorations of what happened to Ireland and, and how, to, um, how to understand that. And then there's a mystery, of course, in it, but it's not the, necessarily the point. <laughs> Judy, are you a big mystery fan? Necessarily, but there's a subgenre that fascinates me, and those are what I would call the medieval mysteries. Um, I'm thinking of three authors in particular: Ellis Peters and the Brother Cadfail books, uh, Margaret Fraser, and C.J. Sansom. And the thing uh, to follow up on Nancy's comment, they give you a, a wonderful picture of life in the medieval times. And I guess what particularly appeals to me about them, they don't have the forensic labs to go to. They have to figure it out from what they know of human nature and what the, the clues around them can provide. I was going to ask, I know you're a huge mystery fan, but you also really don't like things that are too dark or too uh, violent which so many mysteries are, is it limiting? It, well, I, I, what, what limits my mystery reading even more is that I really, really cannot read bad writing. And, and, and I can't read indifferent writing or clunky writing. I, I just want writing like this McIlvany. Um, and I'm not talking about highfalutin or high-flown kind of kind of writing, but I just don't want writing that makes me wince when I'm reading it. So that definitely limits it. And then um, if somebody, if you're in the head of the murderer in the, in the uh, preface, then I know I'm not going to like that book because I, I don't want to be in the head of either a victim or the murderer. That will just immediately stop me from reading the book. Uh, I know Nancy likes this author, but his name is Henning Menkel, and he's written a lot of books about a uh, his main character is a Wallander, but all of his books are kind of about social issues. So 
you pick up a book called like Faceless Killers and you kind of go, well, that sounds ugly, but it's really about immigration into Sweden. And so there's always a social issue for him. And he wrote a book up Firewall about, you know, the modern kind of a precursor to uh, all of the issues we're having today with that issue. So he's always picking an issue, uh, bringing guns into Sweden. He'll have a, he, he lives half the time in Sweden and half the time in Africa. He's a very interesting writer, and he's much different than like Stieg Larsson, who's just more sensational. Everybody, he got all the, rec, you know, all the accolades. But if you read Henning Menkel, he he dives down into it, and his his main character Wallander is a bulldog, but he also has a real big social conscience. You love the Wallander, Katie Sewell. I do. This has been an issue of contention with Nancy and I for years, actually, because she won't read him. Well, but except that they did a really good Swedish adaptation, uh, Sw Swedish TV series with Wallander, and I watched all of those, and that made me think <laughs> maybe I could go back and, and read them. But I was thinking of when, when Bill was talking about um, Wallander and the social issues that he brings up. There was an Israeli writer uh, who was writing probably during the 1990s named Batya Gur, and it's one of the few Israeli mystery writers that's been translated into English. But she had one terrific novel um, that my favorite of hers was about the issues surrounding the Ethiopian Jews who were who were brought into Israel. And I was just thinking of that because that's so much in the news now today. I have a kind of a follow-up to what you were saying too about um, why mysteries and book clubs are limiting sometimes because who done it and what page and then you were mentioning you could delve into the medieval times or the history of Ireland or something so my question is this why do you think an author like um, the alphabet author Sue Grafton works most of the time yeah, I, that's a very good question because Sue Grafton, I think, is on coming up with um, X or Y. So she's almost done with her alphabet. She began with A is for alibi many years ago and brought out about, well, now we could say maybe 24 years ago because about one a year um, at, the, at the most. I think what works is that after a while, it's less in those books. I don't think those work for book clubs, but I think people keep reading them because they want to find out, uh, they enjoy spending time with Kinsey Milhone, and they want to just go back and 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 dis, and just be with her, you know, just see what's happening to her. Now, the interesting thing is that Kinsey barely ages over those 24 years, and so there's no character development, or what I would call character development. So they're going to satisfy people who love a plot that's driving the character. You know, the plot, the story is the engine on that, on that train, rather than in um, many of, uh, say, Tana French's books, it's the characters who are driving that train. Does anybody have a favorite mystery author or series that they want to mention? Please hold. This was many, many years ago. I don't know where she fits in with what, but it was Faye Kellerman. And I just loved them. Almonds and Raisins and the Mikvah. Um, I know her husband's an author, too, and I don't know if he's a mystery writer, but I loved Kellerman. I remember just, just devouring each 
each of her books and getting to the end of the series, but I don't remember much about it. Wasn't Kellerman a mystery writer too? Yeah, yeah Faye Kellerman married to Jonathan Kellerman, who, um, whose main character is um, named Alex Delaware and is a psychologist. Um, but Faye Kellerman wrote a series of books. They happen to be, I think, among my father's favorite books uh, as well. But it, it's about um, the main two characters are an Orthodox woman and um, so Orthodox life, Jewish Orthodox life in, in the Los Angeles area, I believe, and then a policeman that she gets to know and then gradually how that relationship develops over the course of the books. But you learn so much about um, the culture, which is, which is exactly what we've been talking about, the medieval, either whether it's medieval or it's contemporary Scotland or... Are we going to get out of this episode without mentioning the Australian mystery writer? <laughs> never. Um, we can never get. We can never leave a mystery discussion without my touting Peter Temple. Bill, I think you would really enjoy Peter Temple. Um, his the, the the there's a couple that I would suggest, but the first one is um, the Broken Shore, which deals with the um, Aboriginal pro the problem that aboriginals face problems that they face in um, contemporary Australian society. But then they also, he also wrote a series of four books about um, a detective private eye lawyer named Jack Irish, which was, which those were also made into a, uh, done as BBC productions, I think. And they're available at your local public library. And they are amazingly wonderful. I've been enjoying the mysteries that take me to other places. We talked about the North Korean writer last year, right? But there's also a, a Thai series, um, O. I can't remember the name of the, the detective. No, the, isn't the detective is North Korea's the no, detective O. Are you thinking of Colin Cotterell? Yeah. Colin Cotterell's detective um, is uh, the, only, the only coroner in, in Laos. Um, and they're funny, and they're very, they're, they're great. And then, um, the, you know, the Indian, H.R.F. Uh, um, Keating wrote a series featuring an Indian policeman named Inspector Gote. And there's one where he has to, keep, uh, a, ma um, a holy man is fasting to death. It, it, this is a book called Inspector Gote Breaks an Egg. And a holy man is fasting to death, and Inspector Gautier's job, I mean, that he's been assigned to do is to get this man to eat. <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, you just get a wonderful picture of India in the 1950s, and probably 50s and 60s, when those were written. Um, I, I always talk about Donna Leone and Brunetti and uh, Andrea Camilleri and Montalbano, so I get to go to Italy. There's a few other Italian writers, but are there any... So there's a French mystery writer named Pierre Magnon, I think his name is. He writes in Provence, uh, something about, uh, the last one was, or one I read was about a, a truffle-eating pig yes. that, uh, that somebody, got, somebody got murdered over. Are there other countries, so you mentioned the UK, like are there good South American mystery writers that you know of? The trouble is we don't get a lot in translation. I, I mean, there's a wonderful individual one set in South America where Borges is a character in it, and and I think you and I talked about that years and years ago. It's really wonderful, but I, you know, we just don't get 
as we just don't get those in translation. No, and there was a, at the university bookstore, way in the back corner on the second floor of their, uh, mis in the mystery section, they had a whole series of uh, translated mysteries from, from all over Europe, mostly, and, I, and it was one imprint. I can't remember the name of the imprint. Soho Press, I believe, is the one who did it, is, is, is really making a determined, uh, just has, has been determined to bring in these authors translated works from a wide variety of, of countries, and they're mostly mysteries, or primarily mysteries. So I read a lot of mysteries, and sometimes they're what, I don't know if it was somebody here or somebody else called palate cleansers, kind of in between other things. Maybe somebody here said that. It's me. You said that. Okay. And I thought about that, and I think that's true. And I've, I've read, not certainly not all the people you've talked about, but um, I agree, I like something a little more than a mystery, but I also know that I, I'm a crossword puzzle, jigsaw puzzle person, and way back when I was having very little time, if I couldn't get through the book in one evening, I would often read the end first, and it didn't spoil it for me at all, because I'm reading the whole thing as a puzzle, so even though I know how it ends, I'm seeing how the author worked it all out to send you on side trips and so forth. But, um, so for Christmas I was given a mystery that takes place in Denmark, and it's a medical, scientific kind of mystery, which I have read a couple of other things in that genre also. It's called The Dinosaur Feathers. I can't remember the author's name, but she's a Danish biologist, and so it's, it's very, you know, I don't know that it's the best written thing but it was interesting and has interesting characters and a you know a plot you're not necessarily going to get the mystery right of way so it was really it was a fun read and um i um when when i too read the end of books frequently um, uh, often yeah because i because it doesn't bother me to know in fact i i really like to know the end so i can either prepare myself right right but um but and I all and I in that same quirky vein reread Agatha Christie mysteries. I, I, I time after time after time, and I always she's such a good plot person. I mean, she's probably the best pure plot person as a mystery writer that I'm fooled again and again and again. And I, here's and here's what I think. Here's a challenge for everybody: read read. Um, Open an Agatha Christie mystery and read the last page so you know who did it. And, and write down that name. And then go through the book and underline every place that she talked about that person and all the clues that she gave you. Because she played absolutely fair with the reader. It's all there. Um, uh, um, either Miss Marple or um, Hercule Poirot, they're not smarter than we are. You know, um, so we should be able to figure it out as well. But I, I doubt that she is, she is so good at those, um, what are they called? You know, where you hide them. Red hair, thank you, Susie. Red herrings that um, I, I don't think, I think you would still be surprised. That is a great exercise. I want to try that. Robin has a question or a comment. 
a question uh, for Nancy. Um, I can't remember his name, the guy who's written a whole series of different mysteries, but the number one ladies detective agency. And I wondered what you thought of that series and his other work, because he's also a professor of uh, uh, forensic uh, medicine and that sort of thing in Scotland. So that's Alexander McCall Smith and the number one ladies detective agency, probably the only book we'll all read, books we'll all read that are set in Botswana. Um, but see, I would say that those are less mysteries than they are character studies. I, you know, and I think they're lost in the mystery section in bookstores and libraries. That, that's, my, that's one of my big issues with this whole notion of genre. Because people who would love those books are people who love character-driven. People who have a chance, a good chance, of liking those books are people who would like character-driven books. I don't think we could end this without mentioning <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. What do we think of Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, the, who, I think he was written in stories for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. But I just know him as Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, right. That's what I was going to say. Oh, Benedict, come to one of our podcast tapings. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I did not read Sherlock Holmes until I was an adult. Really? And, yes, even though I've always loved mysteries and, yeah. And, and they've never, it's never been, I know everybody loves, everybody seems to love him and no one understands that I just don't. Or, I mean, like, why? But I have no re I have no... I read him as a kid. I loved him as a kid. Well, there again, he doesn't use the laboratory. He uses his own wits to figure things out. <laughs> Another in the palate cleanser variety, but also taking you to a different time, uh, Lindsay Davis, who does the um, uh, set in Rome, the Didius Falco uh, <laughs> mysteries. So those are another... Modern Some, sometimes they do think they do, do cheat a little bit and the red herring. Uh, they hide some of the plot elements so you can't necessarily figure it out. Um, yeah. but I think, uh, excuse me, but I think that her character, that, that her characters are much, uh, Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple and all the characters, I mean, they're just cutouts. They, they, they have no depth and breadth. I mean, they're all a collection of, of, of ticks, if you will, you know, um, Hercule Poirot, his mustache and his little gray cells, and he drinks Tissanes, I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, but in, in, but I think Lindsay Davis does far more than that. Uh, and I, and I, I think she's a better writer, pure writer. But I, the, the author who also brings up current, um, you know, events, contemporary events, is um, Walter Mosley. And we, shouldn't, we should not forget Walter Mosley and his detective, Easy Rollins, because reading those books in order, you get a real picture of um, African-American life in Southern California, especially, from the 1940s through, through the 90s. So I just wanted to have a minority opinion about reading the, the last page first. I, I, don't, I can't abide by that at all. Fairly recently, I decided to read some Agatha Christie. I'd never read it before, so I read Ten Little Indians and Murder on the Orient Express, and I did not, you know, I read it straight through the way I think she wants you to, uh, and, and it would have spoiled the book for me to have known ahead of time what the answer was to the mystery. In fact, I think a lot of her answers are pretty poor. 
I don't like them. I think they're very uh, uh, poorly thought through and, and they're kind of made up. But the, but the plot as you work through it, I think, is a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, the Ten Little Indians, you know, it makes me feel like I'm on that island and I'm in that party of people and how am I going to deal with what's going on and have no idea who it is that's responsible for this. And I think that's a wonderful part of the whole mystery. And it would have spoiled it to, to know what had actually happened. <laughs> but you have to know that he doesn't like crossword puzzles or jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> Well, I have something completely different about mysteries. Uh, for me, it was mysteries that really got me to read. And, uh, you know, they're probably not the best written books, but I remembered looking forward to summer and having my big stack of the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and just, you know, loving those books and everybody shaking their heads, yes. And with, uh, those are probably the only kids' books that we kept. You know, we still have the whole series of those books. All right, very nice. Happy mysteries. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.